0: Hello, and welcome to Humans of Magic. My guest this week is Maria Bartodi. Maria is a freelance editor, videographer, producer, host, esports announcer, podcaster, improviser, musical book writer, watercolor painter, and all around renaissance woman. Yes, that's right, she does all of these things, and it's absolutely freaking incredible. We do talk about how she manages to balance her creative pursuits in this conversation, We talk a lot about doing Magic esports productions, what it's like to be on the road, what it's like to host Pro Tours. We also talk about how improv is the secret weapon to Maria's success. This was a really fun conversation. Maria is just all around talented, and there's so much about her that I didn't know before this conversation, before this interview. If you only know her from Magic, I think this will be very interesting. So please enjoy. A few quick words before we start. We do have a Patreon for those who want to support the ongoing production of Humans of Magic. It's at patreon.com slash humans of magic. The Patreon, if you join it, allows you to become a member of an exclusive Discord community, opportunities for Q&A with myself. Also a very fun perk is to be able to preview Humans of Magic episodes, get them early access, get them ahead of time before the rest of the world sees them every week. It's a great way to support the show. The Patreon is something that I am actively promoting because it just honestly just helps the show stay alive. This is a project that I do part-time as a passion project. It's not my full-time thing. And every little bit of support you can give to Humans of Magic would help me a great deal. So thanks for listening. And let's get to the Maria episode. Maria, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I I am good. Um, judging by your jacket, I mean, it's a stylish jacket. Is it getting colder where you are in Minneapolis? Or
1: yes, I think it was 23 degrees today, which in for winter would be balmy. But uh, we're at the end of fall and we're just getting out of our warm streak. So here we go. Time to gear up. I've got my snow tires on and I'm ready for whatever winter yeah. brings.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing about um, being in a place like that is that. Everyone is ready. Like I've, I've lived, so I lived in uh, Vancouver, Canada for a long time. That's where I was kind of raised for most of my life. And it's always funny to me how like every time there's like a snow season, the city just kind of shuts down. Like yeah. it's just, it's just <laughs> like deja vu. We're not prepared for it. Like we don't, nobody has like snow tires and everyone's driving at like, you know, one eighth the speed, even though, you know, you're in cars or vehicles that can basically do it. And it's so different from like our neighbors in the east in Toronto, where it's like they're always ready for it. So people in Toronto always laugh at us in Vancouver. It's like, what is going on? Right. And for, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm sure where you are, it's all, it's all, it's all, um, it's all good. It's all taken care of. Right. Everyone's ready.
1: Absolutely. Everybody's ready. We know how to do it in Minnesota. Uh, I made a lot of fun of Marshall one time because he drove through here in the winter. And I was like, oh, buddy, you, you got to know how to drive in the snow <laughs> and he did fine but <laughs> yeah. it is a learned skill for sure and yeah uh, we're used to it I, I come from northern minnesota even where it's uh very very cold in the winter um and yeah it doesn't bother me really anymore i don't like driving in the snow but i do know how to do it
0: mm-hmm. especially when people around you also know how to do it it's all it all works out i'm sure
1: yeah it does
0: yeah <laughs> So I wanted to ask you, like, what, what's been what's been new or what are you been up to in recent weeks? I mean, we're kind of ramping down to the end of the year. I can't believe how fast 2023 has gone by. It's just been personally speaking, it just it just felt like a whirlwind. I, I, like, how are things going with you and overall and, you know, just just yeah.
1: Well, it was fantastic to get back to doing live shows uh, in person. I mean, um, And it's just been wonderful to work with everybody again, to see everybody again, Um, even though it's a lot different than it was before lockdown and all that. We do far fewer shows now than we did back then. You know, back then I was traveling sometimes three weekends a month, right, Uh, to go and do Grand Prix or whatever it was. And now it's about only, you know, four times a year, give or take, which is a lot less but still seeing my coworkers in person and getting to meet people at magic cons and everything just gives you life every time that it happens. So, um, I don't know, it's, it's been wonderful to get back to it. And honestly, it's been nicer to have to travel less. So that's been good too.
0: (laughs) Give me an idea. What was it like before the pandemic in terms of magic related travel for you? Is it's like, I don't know, is it a few times a month even, or once a month?
1: Yeah, it would range anywhere from one time to three times uh, a month. So sometimes you'd be on the road basically for most of the month, and sometimes you wouldn't. Uh, you'd only go like one one weekend a month. But it was pretty brutal, honestly. Um, I think anybody could tell you that. I mean, somebody like Cedric knows even better than me because he was traveling far more, or somebody like Rashad who ran production at Grand Prix. But Yeah, when you travel that much, I mean, that's that your life is on the road and you learn how to live like that. And um, what was great about it was getting to see people a lot, Um, getting to hang out with Marshall every weekend, for instance, getting to see the listeners of the podcast in person at a Grand Prix. And I truly do miss Grand Prix. I loved them. I also loved competing in them back before I joined coverage, too. Uh, So it was a grind for sure. But I definitely got status on Delta. So that was pretty sweet. (laughs) You're (laughs) probably... this yeah. is the last year I'll ever have it. I'll never have it ever again. So I'm trying to make the most of it.
0: It will probably never get back to that high frequency of travel and that's for that's a good thing, it sounds like.
1: I think so. I think so, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, something that I've found as uh I, I'm a relatively new cat owner. I, I became a cat owner I think two, three years ago. I, I have two cats now, went from zero to two. Uh you know, typical kind of pandemic cats, uh Scenario, and I am just like now I just miss having my cats whenever I'm traveling. So, oh, yes, uh, and I also had to get people to take care of them for extended stretches of time when my wife and I were both on the road or not at home. So, does that become a challenge for you, or do you have friends around you that can help or like services and things like that? Oh, I know, I, you, I know I, you're a cat, I,
1: lover. I am, I love cats so much. I have two cats, uh, Hlier and moxen both uh, proper Welsh names for my boys and I love them so much. I've had cats growing up my whole life, and it's so hard to leave them when you go on the road, as it is, I'm sure, for anybody uh, to leave any pet. But cats are pretty good, you know, they can manage on their own. But if I'm gone for a tournament, my husband just stays home with the cats and he takes care of them, and if not, I have a friend who I pay to come over and house sit for me, which is great too, and she loves them. So uh, we've we've got it on lock, but I do miss them a lot when I travel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really great. Like I know I know I now that I know a little bit more about cats than before, which is zero. Um <laughs> I know that they like to be in a natural environment. Like we've tried to take them to like you know outside to another environment. They just don't they just don't like it. They're just so much more comfortable just being in their corners or hiding spots at home and it's just um it's just much better that way. So
1: that's a blessing if they're not always trying to escape that's very good
0: (laughs) oh really okay maybe we have well-behaved cats although sometimes my cats will sometimes like they'll be in the background sometimes guests will tell me like they're jumping around the background and I can't see them but uh, hopefully you don't mind that yeah
1: oh no that's an added benefit
0: (laughs) so in terms of the uh, magic related travel for this year what you said is maybe like three or four events like are there any particular highlights that stand out for you, because I know when most people talk about being on the road for magic, um, the typical answer is that it all blurs together. But now that you have a little bit less or you had a little bit yeah. less this year, maybe things can stand out a little bit more.
1: Well, I mean, that is true. Um, and I got to say, being traveling for magic, I went so many places I would have never gone in a million years um which is just absolutely fantastic and a huge perk of the job for instance going to hawaii right before the pandemic started that was a fantastic trip i went to japan for magic that was something i would have never done and it was the most magical vacation and work trip of my life uh this past year we went to barcelona again we've been to barcelona this is my third time in barcelona and i absolutely love barcelona and we had a we just had a fabulous time with everybody over there so um you know uh, we don't get to travel as much anymore, but uh, even so, uh, the the few times that we do, it's it's just wonderful to be able to see see the world and be a tourist. I I usually go for a couple of days before we start the event, especially if we're going overseas, to adjust to the time zone difference because. When you're working, you know, the hours we work for the pro tour are pretty brutal, and you have to be on all the time, right? You've got to be good start to finish. You can't be tired. You can't, your brain can't be foggy. So I try to be uh, in good form as best as I can be by going over there early and adjusting and doing some touristy things with some other casters uh, or people who work the tournament before we actually get into things. So I had a great time at Barcelona this year, but Uh, I also love Minneapolis because that's my hometown. Happy to have people here visiting our hometown and showing them a good time. I got Mm -hmm. to bring all of the uh, Pro Tour coverage team to my favorite restaurant here in town. So yeah, that was very fun too.
0: Can you say which restaurant it was, like for those who might happen to cross?
1: Absolutely, I love a good steakhouse. So my favorite restaurant is Baldemar, which is in a mall parking lot uh, outside of Minneapolis and you might be like a steak in a mall parking lot, Maria, get real, but I'm telling you, I have been to so many steak houses all over the world, thanks to Magic and the foodies of Magic, of which there are many, and I've never had a better steak than at Baltimore here in Minneapolis.
0: I I love steaks, so if I'm ever in the area, I definitely have you to have check to. that out you have in to. <laughs> the parking lot. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um, I've also heard that your food horizons, I, I guess you mentioned you know traveling or being with Magic foodies. Um, I've also heard that your food, what's the term? Palate or your food range has expanded. <laughs> uh, like, can you talk a bit about that? And, you know, maybe how, yeah, I, I maybe how it's evolved over the years.
1: Absolutely. Yes. 100% magic has evolved my palate. I'm from Minnesota, right? We don't understand what spicy actually means. We, we are like, oh, do you put pepper on that? My God, I can't handle it. Um, but. Yeah. So that's how kind of I was coming into magic. But everybody in magic loves food. It's fabulous and they like going to good restaurants and they appreciate it. And it broadened my horizons. Um, You know, people on coverage cough, Marshall cough, really made a lot of fun of me back in the day because I wouldn't try stuff. But thanks to magic, I tried oysters uh, and found out that, yes, sometimes I do like them. (laughs) Sometimes, Um, sometimes I never had had sushi before uh in magic um and i learned that i loved certain aspects of that and stuff so that broadened my horizon in that arena now i'm just not afraid to try stuff you know when you're going out to so many different restaurants with so many different kinds of people from all walks of life who are used to all sorts of different things you just want to be adventurous and i think that's something the game the game has indirectly given me too
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. have you gone as far as um more like the raw side of things? Because I find that to be a little challenging even being exposed <laughs> to sushi and Asian uh, food. So. Yeah,
1: sometimes I'll in sushi anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try it. I'll try anything. But I will not eat a pig's face, which is something that did occur. <laughs> oh, my gosh. On multiple okay. occasions, they ordered a pig's head, and I just could not do that. I could yeah, do that.
0: I, I can't <laughs> I had do that. I my limit. <laughs> I can't even do a fish's head. Like I'm just, I'm just. A well, that happened to
1: me too. Yes. In Japan, I was like, okay, so in Japan, we stayed in a traditional uh, hotel where we had to wear traditional costume and we got traditional breakfast li- delivered to us. And I ordered the traditional Japanese breakfast, like a real dum-dum. Uh, and there's, you know, it was like a full fish and you're supposed to just eat it. Now, I um, felt very sheepish because I'm like, I just can't do it. I can't do it. Thankfully, my friends there did it for me.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: (laughs) And I got to take a little off the American breakfast plate, so it was fine. And it was a great experience. But yeah, sometimes, I don't know. I couldn't do that.
0: Yeah. I think there's always a kind of um, a a need to, to some extent, to socially conform, right? If everyone's eating it, then you feel like you kind of have to kind of have to roll with it but yeah, uh yeah. thankfully your friend saved you so
1: yeah i wanted to be cool i wanted to be brave but unfortunately i was not that brave
0: <laughs> now you mentioned uh uh adjusting to the time zone that's key because of course for anything uh coverage included you don't want to fall asleep when you're on the job uh not that you've no, ever no. done that but I've, I've definitely been there for non-coverage things yeah. when i'm jet like <laughs> are there other things that um like that are kind of on your preparation checklist like maybe maybe like as a caster or as a coverage person in general like are there things that you kind of mentally or otherwise tick through as you as you prepare
1: oh yeah absolutely so i've been doing this now for a long time i guess relatively speaking um and it's it's very different now than it was when i started doing coverage um which was a pro tour in Milwaukee where I was life total spotter so I was somebody in the feature match area and I put in the life totals on the iPad now back then it was all paper magic as we have returned to now but in the middle we were in arena and I do still cover the arena championships um, so that does still happen but on a less of a scale than it was when we were you know in the height of, tr- of doing esports when everything that all the our events were on arena and nowadays, coming full circle. Um, but back when I did grand prix, was still paper magic, and I would head into a event by knowing literally every piece of text on every card that could potentially come up during a game. So, I'm a limited player. That's my favorite format. But I did it for whatever format I happened to be casting at the time. So, uh, yeah, um, I would just study with flashcards. So I'd have all of the cards of the set or whatever, and I would quiz myself by knowing power toughness what what all the rules text on the card what the name of the card is so that i could i could identify it like that because i was play by play and my job i took it pretty seriously to identify and help help people at home track the game as well as they could even if they were not looking at the screen that's how i kind of saw that role like i'm going to be the nuts and bolts of the game and then my expert will help me fill in the gaps And so, yeah, it was a ton of work memorizing all of that. When Arena came around, that became less important because you could see every card pretty clearly on the screen and read it uh, pretty clearly. Now, I wasn't a play-by-play caster at that time anymore. I was just a host, so I didn't have to necessarily worry about that at all. But it became simpler. Now we're back around to paper tournaments again, so it becomes more difficult. And there's also a secret lair now existing and all sorts of different printings of cards. So that is another added level of difficulty on top of that. Um, and, you know, it's always easy to Monday morning quarterback or whatever, backseat drive when you see a caster doing this stuff. But it really is truly tremendously difficult to always be correct about everything in every scenario. When things are changing uh, on the board state, you know, constantly and between rounds and between tournaments as well but uh, as my role of host now uh, once again I don't have to worry about that as much as I did when I was play by play so a lot of pressure is off my shoulders that way But a lot more is on my shoulders as as far as, uh, in terms of making sure the show as a whole goes smoothly from my role as the host at the news desk. I try to be the person that, I don't know, I I want it to feel warm and inviting and welcoming when people come into the show, and I also have to know my stuff. Um, But it's a lot different kind of preparation than it used to be in the past. So now I need to know more about the players themselves, who they are as people, I have to talk to them before the event get to know them, their story. If they do well this weekend, it'll be great if I've talked to them about, you know, their preparation leading up to the event. How are they feeling? And I can weave that into the story of the weekend, which is a different preparation than uh, previously in my play by play role. Um, So that's just like, you know, some of the nuts and bolts of getting ready for a show. And then there's all the stuff that maybe you don't think about, which is. I'm kind of like a boy scout, so when I go to a tournament, if we're traveling a long way from home, I want to make sure that I have absolutely everything I could possibly need for any kind of emergency scenario. (laughs) So that's another part of my preparation is making sure I just pack just like the kitchen sink because I want to make sure no matter what could possibly go wrong that weekend that I have a remedy available in every different kind of form possible. because I want to just, I want the show to go smoothly. And it's very, very stressful. You're very tired, you're working incredibly long hours. So as much as you can prepare yourself to be in a good mind and body space, when you get there, that's what I'm aiming for.
0: Mm. Yeah, you're, you're, um, you're describing something. I mean, I don't, I can't say that I was involved in the magic productions. But to me, it sounds like kind of like, for example, I really enjoy running. It's kind of like you're running a marathon or you're running yes. a race. And you're everything can and could possibly go wrong. And you just don't know. And there's this kind of thing hanging in the back of your mind, like, I have to always be on high alert. Like, something could happen. Or, you know, it's because it's just a live atmosphere. It's a live thing. And people are people. And um, technical things are technical things. And oh, yes. things could go wrong. So it's kind of like, it's almost like having this very strong, like a strong mindset, but also a flexible mindset, I think is the way to go,
1: right? 100% you've nailed it right there having a flexible mindset. Number one, because like you said, you never know if something is going to go wrong. Now we have a fantastic team that we work with behind the scenes for these pro tours. But still, you know, like you said, humans are humans, things can go wrong. So one thing that I always make sure to do before I go on camera is actually physically write down everything that is going to happen. And what I should like, basically I have fail safes in place in case something goes wrong. So that way I feel pretty secure to be able to take the ball and run with it if I need to in the event of a technical difficulty. Um, Or like, you know, the director who I normally talk to in my ear or I hear in my ear rather, um, goes away for some reason. I'll know what's coming up and where I need to go from there. And I think a flexible mindset is huge because I kind I call it having a loose brain. Loose brain? Um, okay. loose brain because right, you've got to be able to roll with the punches. You don't you don't know what's coming next. Something anything could happen like you ask somebody a question, you don't know what they're going to say, how do you respond X Y and Z? And for that, I credit a huge amount to my improv training, which is been incredibly important to me throughout my life, and I think has given me uh, so, I mean, just an insurmountable amount of of benefit, and that's definitely one of the big benefits.
0: Mm -hmm. Is that a commonality when Wizards picks folks to be on in coverage or in certain roles? I mean, it sounds like uh, you're not the first person I've talked to who's done magic coverage, and it sounds like everyone has that to some extent. I'm not saying specifically improv training, but just having a certain way of processing things around them and being flexible uh, and whatnot. Like, is that is it just kind of like does wizards know how to pick people like that, or just or it's just kind of chicken in the egg? Like, you, everyone who's doing it just kind of forces themselves to evolve that way, you know? <laughs>
1: That's a good question. I don't know. I can't speak to their process. The way I got hired was very unusual. If you want me to tell that story, I can tell it. Please do. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: um, But as far as like, yeah, I think theater training, we have some people with theater background who do coverage. Of course, that's going to help. I mean, it's just... It is because you know how you know how to talk, you know how to present, you know how to work with another person. Um, it's going to be huge, and I can go. I can talk about improv philosophy for about thirteen hours, so <laughs> <laughs> I can go into that too. But no, the the story of how I got hired is pretty weird. Um, I've told it on a few podcasts, so forgive me if you've heard it before. But um, Megan and I have had been doing Good Luck High Five, which back then was called Magic the Amateuring, for a number of years, and Megan wrote an article. About women in magic uh, on Star City Games, and she just was writing like, "Hey, you know, this is why it's tough sometimes, and this is how we can be better, better allies and help each other out." And the magic community was a different place back then than it is now, and there was a huge backlash to that article, um, which was one of the hardest times of my life um, dealing with that backlash. It was really, really, really painful um, to hear from the you know the people in the community you love, and. So what we did was we recorded a podcast episode that was kind of like a response to the community's response, um, a portion of the community to that to that article, and it was our most popular episode we've ever recorded, certainly our most downloaded, and it was called "Sigh." And um, in that episode, we talked about ways that we thought that the community could do better, and one of those ways we said was to involve women in magic coverage. And um, yeah, and we talked about it, and Wizards actually ended up contacting us and saying, well, hey, like we heard your episode and we think you're right. And do you have anybody that you think would be good for this? And then we gave them a bunch of names. And then at the end, we also said, or or you could also consider us because I have a back- background in, we both, had, we both had backgrounds in theater and I had a background in television production. So, um, you know, we were like, if you want, here we are. And eventually they hired both of us. Now we both work on PT coverage. I do the hosting and Megan does the social media. So
0: mm-hmm. And I know Megan's extremely talented in, in those areas as you mentioned. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You're I mean it's you're just you're just one half. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a big it's a big hole, but you're you're yeah. one half of that uh hole. As in W H O L E. That's yes. what I meant to yes. say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um yeah that's um i I have heard that story in the past and uh as you mentioned things are just a lot different now right because that was several years ago um that that's um gosh i I don't remember how many years ago that was uh but it's it was when when it was magic the amateuring so it must have been a long time ago
1: yeah i can't remember off the top of my head but um the information's out there if anybody wants to find it yeah
0: yeah yeah so yeah i mean going back to the coverage part um I feel like I could get a lot of answers here, but like what are what are some examples of um Snafus or things that might happen unexpectedly. I mean just things like maybe the teleprompter doesn't work, the microphone doesn't work or teleprompter.
1: I wish there's no teleprompter. (laughs) I thought
0: you're writing it down because you know there's a backup. No, it's all in your head anyway. So Yeah,
1: it's all it's all off the top of our heads. There's no teleprompter for anybody. Which was honestly a shock to me when I when I came in because I had been used to working in television news where there of course is a prompter, and then they're like, Oh no, you just have to say it and I was like, What? (laughs) (laughs) And honestly it took a while to get used to that but now mm-hmm. now i would not i would not want a prompter now now i'm used to it okay. yeah no like whatever could go wrong let me assure you it has gone wrong it has gone
0: wrong over the years it has yeah.
1: over the mm-hmm. years yes yeah i i once did a show where i think they rolled the wrong piece of video maybe three times and they kept cutting back to me at the desk and i have to be like well that wasn't right uh let's try it again <laughs> come back and i'm like Ooh, uh, not exactly yeah. right this time either let's see if the third time's the charm mm-hmm. uh you know mike's not being on you can't hear the director the director can't hear you it's too loud in your ear uh i, I don't even know like you say the wrong like it's not that i don't mess up i mess up too like i p- throw to the wrong thing or whatever and production's like what did she just do oh now we can't keep up you know um yeah. Uh, the wrong video feed, of course, like, you know, it could be anything. There has been, a, it's been a lot of years and we work with different companies over those years. So um, now it's so much better to work with one company who, who you have history with, who understands how to get it done. So it's a lot better now. <laughs>
0: Some continuity is always yes. welcome. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, which is, which I find really interesting is also just, I don't know if this is the right term, but I'm going to try to say it this way. Like you're almost like, a vibes architect for the for the production like you're trying to create a certain vibe that. right that's uh, great. Yes, is that absolutely. fair to say like absolutely okay okay like that seems so difficult to do because there needs to be some like forcible personality such as yourself that's kind of like willing to dictate the reins of like what what the the vibes are going to be right so is that is that something that just comes naturally f- for you as well, based on your background and things like that?
1: I hope so. I hope people like the vibes. Um, I, yeah, it's very important to me because I used to watch the Pro Tour a lot before I got into coverage and all of that. And to me, okay, so the Hosta segment back then existed for a very specific purpose because uh, we didn't pre-record any of the main feature match in the round. So that, they're an accordion to make sure that you know at that time there was maybe four feature matches up on the stage and if they all finished but there were still people playing out on the floor well then you didn't have any content to show no games to show so the desk was the place where you went while well, we finished made sure that everybody like sometimes you know there's a 45 minute judge call that goes on out there and you need to have something to do during that time and so that's where we would put content at the news desk and When people watch a Pro Tour, guess what? They want to see games of Magic, right? So when I come on screen, they don't necessarily want to see me or care what I have to say because they're just like, I want to see more games. So I take my role as like, hey... I want you I want you to feel welcome here in this space when you're watching this tournament, and I want to give you something interesting to hear and talk about while well, production and the players and the judges and everybody are getting everything prepared for the next round. We're switching our commentators in the booth. I want to give you a happy place to go that feels kind of warm and fuzzy, that feels welcoming so that you're not like, as much as we can possibly do, that you're not just like, jonesing like when is the next match going to start i don't want to be here i want you to feel like you want to be here like you have a home and so i try to be the people's home in the broadcast that makes them feel you know like they turn like they turn on the fireplace when they come and sit down and, and they mm-hmm. watch the show mm-hmm. um because you know magic's for everybody and i want i want everyone to feel that when they when they watch the pro tour and yeah so hopefully i, I hopefully i help create that vibe even a little bit
0: i, I think it goes to Kind of this concept that we have talked about in gaming, also, which is kind of like a a safe space or a comfortable place that you you don't feel um, you don 't feel discomfort when you 're tuning in right like it feels like there's someone that can um, is a is just literally like a very a nice host who can who can help you because I think oftentimes as players, we lose sight of the fact that there's people tuning in that are just not super um, they might be tuning into their first magic podcast they might be yeah. uh they might have may have only played magic at the kitchen table they d- they just they they're curious about this and oftentimes a lot of activities people just get it's kind of like there's if there's too much high level stuff going on all the time um there's a time and place for everything but if there's too much like super like competitive talk and like all the time that may actually turn some people away and i i, I don't think it's I don't think it's actually good for the game to have magic like to be like, you know, to have Pro Tours be only about like, um, you know, exactly this, um, this, this high level interaction between magic cards, if you know what I mean, like, it's, it's it's very important to, to be accommodating,
1: I guess. Yeah. yeah, and that's really tough, right? Like, we talk about this at the Pro Tour all the time, we don't know what skill level people have when they're tuning in um like you said they might just be interested and they stop and we don't want them you know we want them to stay and learn more about the game primarily the people who watch are really heavily invested players but we don't want to ignore those that aren't so we try and build the broadcast now i don't build it but i'm using the royal we here uh build the broadcast to make it accessible but also make it uh give meat to the players who want some more deep dives so we try and you know we try the best that we can to make sure that there's a spot for everybody in our broadcasts. And hopefully we achieve that to some extent.
0: Mm-hmm. The other thing I wanted to ask is, uh, you know, people who worked in uh, magic coverage, for example, I can think of Will Hall, I can think of money, um, the who have been who are relatively newer to um, the scene compared to to yourself. Like, are there pieces of advice or things that you might give to them as they're doing a pro tour coverage for the first time or maybe even just coverage in in general you know like you know as a wise as a wizened uh more accomplished uh broadcaster and personality and host like what are some things that you you may try to tell them to help them uh along the way
1: well i would never tell mani everything cuz he's just a perfect human being and needs no changes uh <laughs> <laughs> he's my best buddy I have to say that, but also I do mean it. I love Monty so much. I'm so happy that I get to have him um, as my expert at the desk. It's, it just makes it a wonderful place because he knows so much about the game. Uh, and he has a theater background, so he is good at presentation. When, when I get asked this question, I, t- I usually tell the story about how I try to be as prepared for disaster as humanly possible before a break. I think that is thing number one. So I always want to be prepared no matter what. If something horrible should, good, should go wrong, what, is, what am I going to do? Um, number two, like I think uh, carving out a spot for who you are is so important. You know, what do you bring to the table that is different than what everybody else? Brings to the table as far as doing coverage is concerned. Let's say you've got the basics down, you can speak clearly, you're good at talking to people, whatever, you can do all that. But what makes you special? You know, why should people care about you? I think is uh, another super important element. So developing, I think, you know a, a character I around yourself more or less is a good thing to do kind of um what are your strengths use finding your strengths and really leaning into those I think would be another piece of advice I would have and just what I talked about at the start of this uh, interview which is being prepared um mentally and physically when you get to the venue like I always try and get a lot of sleep I'm an eight or nine hour sleep person and I just really don't want to skimp on that because I want to make sure I'm in my best place that I can be before I do the show and I know that's not always possible when you're traveling because it's really hard to get a good night's sleep but you know just making sure I can have as many of my creature comforts from my normal life with me on the road um and everything I need in case of an emergency makes me feel better um yeah, to be able to perform because I just am garbage if I don't get enough sleep or I don't have my headache, like if I have a headache and I don't have my medication, whatever. You know what I'm saying? So I guess those are my top, those are my top three.
0: Yeah. I mean, just, just uh, thank you for that. And uh, I think for, for Mani, like I I talked to him on this podcast and I do have a very strong sense that he is very, like he treats this role kind of like how he treats being a magic player when he was playing very, high level of magic, like just always constantly looking for ways to improve and just constantly studying it. I think that's like one thing I found is that people who reach the top of coverage or stay there, they are really they really continue to be students and they always continue to look at what they could do better. Like what 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 are what are some incremental things that I can I can do? And I think money is also very well aware of like, you know, um what makes him him, right? Like, as you said, like, what, what is, um, what, what is your edge or what is your, what are you bringing? That's different from maybe what others or Maria are, are bringing. And I think he's really, um, taking that to heart. Like he's just really, uh, a really hard worker. I can, I can sense when he's when he's doing these things, and I'm sure all of you are. Yeah, I mean, like
1: when I, but one of the things I love about Monty is that his he's very very fast. So we often will watch coverage backstage together when we're not doing at the host desk, and I'll see him see plays, you know, sometimes like a minute before the players or whatever, and I'm always just like, (laughs) it's just very impressive. It's very impressive. Oh, I forgot a fourth thing. A fourth thing. This is Maria's list number four. Um what do you care about in magic? Like, why do you love magic? I want to see that from you. You know, I want to know what it is that you love about the game and I want to hear you talk about it. I want to hear, I want to feel you bring that to the fore of your performance. I'm going to put that in quotes. That Mm -hmm. I think is really important. Um, Where do you approach the game from and where do you live in it? And I think people connect to that joy that you bring because it's genuine. You know, I think anybody can spot somebody who's not being genuine in coverage a mile away. And so what is it about this game, the greatest game in the world that you love more than anything else and live in that and celebrate that through your role, whatever it happens to be, would be my fourth piece of advice.
0: That's a really good one. How how does one um, bring that out? For example, I can just think like, okay, maybe I like a, I like the color black and Magic. I like a certain format. Like, how do you make that materialize or is it just like the love of the game in in general
1: well for sure the love of the game in general but i mean um for instance like i mentioned i'm a limited player so i'll get i don't try and hide that i don't you know say oh like here we are at Legacy, and I'm like... Oh, okay. There's no need to be impartial.
0: Like, if you love something, you know, a particular right. format, just say it, right? Or show yeah, it.
1: Yeah, if you love something, let it show. I, I talk about Boggles a lot, because I used to be a very... Oh, avid yeah, I've Boggles seen you Boggles in the camera and
0: matches. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: Um, uh, and I played, as like, a standard Boggles deck back in the day with SRAM, which I absolutely loved. Whatever you love, like, let it out there and let the people know because that's where you're going to connect with people and your passion. That's when it becomes easy. When you're talking about something that you legitimately love, you don't have to work. It'll just flow right on out of you. And you don't have to love everything. Like, I covered, yeah. you know, tournaments where I'm like, ugh, it's not my favorite format or whatever. <laughs> but there's different bits and pieces of it that I certainly love. Uh, seeing players do really well is another thing that right. gets me very excited. So a player having an undefeated day one who are they i get to know them i get to know why they love magic tell me about it and i think i don't know that just that just helps you connect to your audience and it helps you i don't know it just it's way it's way more genuine when you just connect through something that you love instead of trying to force something that you maybe don't
0: i i always wonder about that as a viewer you know sometimes i do know that there are certain uh players that the team is rooting for or like for example maria might be rooting for uh you know jean emmanuel or uh alias v might be rooting for jean emmanuel i should say i think she's a big fan of his uh and you know oh, like he's great everyone's yeah, a jed fan yeah yeah, yeah yeah i i would root for him as well you know i or <laughs> you know nathan stoyer things like that and it's like yeah. um is that is that totally fair to do like i don't know it's just it's just like because it's not it's not it's not journalism right so it's okay to to just uh lean into people that you're a fan of right
1: yeah, I think it's it's tough because you can't seem... They do have an too,
0: opponent, though. That's They the thing, have an right? opponent.
1: You can't seem too preferential because, right, they have an opponent. And it means probably just as much to the opponent who might be an unknown player. So you have less of a chance to have a connection with them than somebody like JED, for instance, who we've seen you know, hundreds of games of throughout the years. Um, so it's only natural that we would have like just a stronger knowledge of them and uh, maybe a relationship as well. But... So I try to to be as impartial as possible, but I don't want to be wholly impartial because I do want to be honest, like I said, and I do want to uh, give the audience that excitement. Like we're feeling the excitement up there as much as you are at home, and I want you to feel that through your computer screen, your TV screen, your phone screen, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I personally think it's fine. Um, I'm the host, so I try to be the most objective of everybody but I try to bring it out in the people I have at my desk with me too I think it's okay because I don't know it's sports broadcasting right and sometimes you you want to root for somebody
0: yeah and I think part of sports broadcasting or things like magic esports is that you do have to know maybe this goes what you're saying about preparation you have to know enough about the players so that you can kind of talk as if you were in their shoes right because when when j e d wins this match, like you have to know like how meaningful it was for him because maybe there was a mountain that he climbed that he wasn't able to before, like he worked hard at it, he had played in you know x amount of similar events in the past, so I think that's an area where like being familiar with a player actually helps the the coverage, but only if you harness it correctly, right I think you have to put yourself in their shoes and kind of describe their mental state or mindset to the the viewers like Tell me a bit about that. Like that must be pretty hard to do as well. Like it's just to create that narrative really.
1: Yeah, creating the narrative is a huge thing that Rich talks to us about. Uh, Rich Hagen, um, of course, I used to do the news desk with him and now he's behind the scenes doing everything. Talks about all the time. And um, it is extremely important because the people at home by and large, don't really know much about these players. They don't necessarily follow them event to event to event like we do. So it's crucial that we don't approach it like, oh, you know, JED, he's a great magic player. You all know that. Of course you do. You know, like, no, not of course you do. We don't no, know we that don't. at all. So it's really, we, we, there's a player party before the pro tour, uh, every pro tour, and we go down to that party uh, specifically to talk to the players and find out what's up with them. How is their testing been? Who the, who have they been testing with? What's on? How do they feel about this event? Do they feel confident? What decks are they bringing, etc. And we have that point of privilege, especially if we've done a number of shows over the year to kind of build that relationship and that narrative with players over the years. So it is a long process. You can't just jump into it and bam, you're ready to go. Like this has been built over 10 years or whatever of knowing these people and and seeing them play. And I think that's that's a pretty valuable aspect of some people on the team having been there for a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is where I need to talk about my... um... What my Rich Hagon story when I asked him about this, because um, you know, he was describing how Because with magic events, you just don't know how players are gonna do in a certain event. So Rich is gifted for almost having this encyclopedic like tracker that he knows like all the players that are playing their stories, even the ones that you don't expect to know about. So I remember him telling me that there was a player where he knew something super obscure that probably only the player knew and nobody else knew. Like, for example, this was like, if the player, like, top 64, this PT, they would, like, there would be some meaning to that. Like, they would stay on the train. And when he told the player about it, I think during a player's meeting, uh, like, the uh, some sort of interaction, the player just lit up. Like, just just absolutely lit up because he did not expect Rich or anybody to know about that. And it's just so... It's just so demonstrative of like how how much of a professional rich is that, that he can he can he can do the he does the work even when the work might not ever materialize so I found that to be like super inspirational when he told me about it you know
1: oh yeah I mean rich is a monster everybody like he knows everything about everyone and like you mentioned encyclopedic it truly is his mind for these players and he's been doing it a really long time and if anybody puts the work into it, Rich puts the work into it. Uh, it's just, it's an incredible thing to see. And it's an absolutely indispensable resource for us to have at the shows. Now, um, uh, I, I learned basically everything about casting a magic event from Rich and well, I'll never be rich. I could never be cause my brain just doesn't work the same way that his does. I have mm-hmm. to just be myself and focus on my strengths, but I, I would hope one day to, I don't know to have people enjoy me at least 10% as much as they enjoyed Rich hosting these these tournaments because I mean the guy the guy is a true 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 gift and a true artist Um, he's he's a magnificent performer as well he he plays piano he writes musicals he writes music he does it all so i can't i can't say enough good well things about i mean
0: you Rich. do it all as well right i guess we'll, we'll we'll definitely talk about that too i mean the things you mentioned like i think you do them too right don't you play <laughs> piano and and write plays and, and sing play and piano. do music
1: no i can play one song on piano
0: oh my gosh so you it. do have an achilles heel you don't yeah. play piano i'm just kidding
1: <laughs> but i do write musicals too yes that is accurate
0: wait you can write musicals without I, knowing piano, so first of all, I'm speaking entirely from ignorance. I'm not a musical person. I listen to music on Spotify. That's it. But um, I thought you needed. I thought piano was kind of like the, the the foundation of like the foundational instrument that people are supposed to learn. I, I, mind you, I've learned zero instruments. But yeah,
1: no, no, you're right. You're right. I took piano for a long time in my life, so I do understand it. But I, I okay, just so you're don't just humble
0: it. about your piano abilities. You do have <laughs> okay, some abilities. <laughs>
1: I have a writing partner. I have a writing partner, my best friend since fourth grade, Kristen Stoll. She writes with me. And she's an an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal, that's not a word, phenomenal composer. And we wrote a musical together. um, And we were since planning two more. So uh, that's who does the music. And then I write the book for the show is the way that it breaks out. So lyrics and scenes. And she'll do some lyrics as well. Yeah.
0: Where do you get the inspiration to write the musicals? Like what themes are are there? Is it autobiographical or or what?
1: No, not for me anyway. Uh, no, I I love I love theater. I was raised in the theater. My mother was a theater director. I'm named Maria because she was pregnant with me when she was directing The Sound of Music. So really, from my birth on, it's been it's been part of my life. And I could never never imagine uh, not having it in my life. It, I simply would not. I don't know. I don't think I would function. It's just crucial to who I am. So my whole life I've grown up like writing plays, doing plays, performing in plays, whatever. Um, But this last couple of years, my my writing partner, Kristen, came to me and she's like, I want to write a a fringe show together. So here in Minneapolis, we have a fringe festival just like Edinburgh, much smaller. Um, And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a fun challenge. And it was during uh, the lockdown period. So we had enough time to be able to do this. And she really wanted to write a musical about her experience with endometriosis, which is a disease that affects 10% of people who menstruate and it's horrible and debilitating, or it, rather it can be, but nobody really knows about it. And I was interested in writing about women's uh, women's health musical. And so we took these two ideas and kind of mashed them together yeah, intersected. and we wrote,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> like thankfully they go very, very well, hand in hand, uh, to make endometriosis the musical, which we prepared, premiered at the Minnesota Fringe Festival a couple of years ago. And um, it was wonderful. It was fabulous. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life writing that show. It was 45 minutes. We've since had a secondary reading where we expanded it to 90 minutes, so a one-act musical. And now we have a couple of theaters who are potentially interested in it. So now we're going through the rewrite process to try and get it to a place where we're 100% as close as we can get happy with the 90-minute um, musical that we're presenting. And yeah, we've got a, a couple more in the hopper too, some ideas running around. But it's just been such a tremendous experience that I didn't think I could, you know, if you're like, could you write a musical? I would have told you no. But that's just because like, I hadn't tried, you know? That's what I think is with a lot of people. They'll say, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, did you try and do? <laughs> You've got to sit down and do the thing to do the thing. You know what I mean? Mm
0: mm-hmm, Mm hmm. But what is something that, uh, You know, you said you've been immersed in musicals all your life. I'm sure you could recite every second of The Sound of Music and, you know, (laughs) all these kind of things. Right. But it's one thing to to be an audience member or a viewer. It's another to actually create the thing. So as you're creating that first musical, um, what are some things that surprised you about that process?
1: Gosh, everything, everything surprises you. You have, you know, a vision in your head, that doesn't mean the actors are going to understand what that vision is. So I also directed it for The Fringe, and that was just a wonderful experience working with our extremely talented cast to try and, you know, get what's up in here out there on the stage, to translate it from in your brain to real life, was very cool and completely unexpected. Like, sometimes they would say a line a thousand times funnier than I ever imagined it, you know. And that was a a true gift. But also, too, sometimes, you know, inspiration, they talk about inspiration striking, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. That is such a true thing. Sometimes it happens. You sit down, you're stuck for forever. And then sometimes you sit down, boom, you've got the whole thing in one sitting, uh, which is great. And once again, I credit improv a huge amount for this because... If you had said to me I want you to me to write a musical I don't know if I would have understood I would have sat down I would have been like okay how am I gonna structure this scene what needs to happen when who needs to say what when and I would have like thought myself into the grave but because of improv instead what I did is I would sit down I say I have a vague idea of what this needs to be about this is a family having an awkward dinner at Applebee's okay and then I just went from there. I imagined it as if it were an improv scene and mm-hmm. I just wrote what I thought would have happened. And it was I I sat there and I was like, "Oh my god, I just I just wrote a scene. Like I just did it." Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't done a lot of scripted theater for a lot for a long time up until this point. But I realized that through doing so much improv, I had an innate sense of how human beings talk to each other in a performance environment when the comedy beats happen. It's a rhythm that you hit. Um, just kind of innately through doing it for so long that that really truly surprised me. I didn't know improv would give me such uh, good writing skills, but it did.
0: Mm -hmm. And this improv as writing, are you doing it solo or are you doing it with like partners or how how does that creative process work for you?
1: Yeah, I sit down um, and I do it by myself and then Kristen and I will have meetings, she lives in Washington, DC. So she's not here in Minneapolis with me, we'll have meetings, we'll go over it together, we'll read it out loud. And then I'll have friends and family members check in on it and give me notes and feedback. And we'll tweak it from there, generally.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you balance uh, having your a singular vision versus taking feedback? Because I'm just thinking about so many projects I've been involved with, like, sometimes you get death of a 1000 cuts, and you, you try to do things by consensus, and it doesn't always end up well. So like, how do you Stay true to yourself while still listening to the outside world.
1: Oh my gosh, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Um, so thankfully, Kristen and I were pretty aligned on the way that we see things, which makes it easier. Um, but taking taking feedback into account is definitely a skill which you get better at over time, i found. I learned it kind of a hard way when I was, a, I was a video editor, like I, I was a, I call it a one-man band, so I shot, produced, shot, edited a lot of videos throughout my life, and that's a time when you really learn to, quote, kill your babies, as they say, mm-hmm. um, I would have- Kill your uh, babies,
0: your darlings. Yeah. Yes,
1: exactly. Come in and say, well, you've got to take this out, this out, this out, and I'm like, but I love them. I love them. You know, it's, oh, it has to be in there, and then you realize it really doesn't. It doesn't. It's less is more right sometimes yep, taking it c- cutting out is leaves a much stronger product and i take any feedback i get pretty seriously And i you know sometimes you do have to say you know what in the end i'm going to go with my gut and i'm going to do what i think but i really think about it a lot before i make that kind of decision instead of going with somebody because somebody to to tell you something I mean, giving somebody feedback is hard, too, and to take that step and actually make a comment, I think is really deserve uh, deserving of your attention when somebody makes it. So I try really hard to um, take everybody's uh, thoughts into consideration when I'm making edits.
0: And and during that time when you're when you're writing the musical or creating it. I'm just wondering, are you, are you trying to singularly focus on just this project? Like, are you, or is it still, I assume like, you know, good luck, high five and other things are still going on. So like, how do you create this sort of, um, creative space for yourself? You know, because you strike me as someone who's always involved in so many different things at once. So like, (laughs) it's really, it seems really hard for the typical person to multitask, like creatively, right? Let alone one project. So
1: it's just. Where I feel the most comfortable, to be honest with you, my whole life has been doing a thousand things at the same time. I just, I don't, I describe my mind as a squirrel tail. So, have you ever seen like a squirrel tail? It's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's my brain.
0: <laughs> it's never still. That's for sure.
1: Never still. Always going in a different, million different directions. Um, so, I really like to be lit up. I like to be lit up and creatively inspired by a bunch of stuff at all times. So. You know sometimes i really do need to take a break and that's something i gotta get better at doing but honestly uh, i'm an extrovert other people give me energy doing things like this gives me energy even if i'm tired and i'm like i don't want to go do this show i actually show up at the show and i do it and i have a thousand times more energy than when i left the house um i do work a lot like i'm doing stuff all the time um i have little downtime. um But that's okay. That's kind of how I like it. I like to be creatively involved in a lot of stuff. And maybe that won't be true for my entire life, but it has been up until this point. Um, I just really like pushing the boundaries of creativity and finding out what else I can do. Not all of it's going to be great. Some will be pretty bad. But that's okay if I had a fun time doing it and I learned something from it. So I like to take the opportunities when I can get them. I just want to wring the most juice out of life as possible, you know. (laughs)
0: Where do you think that comes from? Is it innate? Were there certain events uh, as you were younger that made you want to get involved creatively in a bunch of different things?
1: I don't know why. Um, My mother is also like this. I mentioned she was a theater director and she was, you know, both my parents were teachers as well. So they were constantly, constantly busy doing teaching plays. My father uh, coached a lot of sports, golf, soccer, hockey, started the girls hockey program at my high school. Um and I played hockey for a while too. Um I I don't know. I guess it's just how I how I've always been and they were they were a good example of it. Um Yeah. I don't know. I I can't really imagine being somebody who did one thing. I think I would get very antsy and weird. <laughs>
0: Maybe antsy, weird, or bored, perhaps? Yeah,
1: bored. Definitely bored. I would definitely get bored. I get bored very, very easily. Like, I'm I'm constantly multitasking, so. Right, yeah. right.
0: I, I'm just really curious about it because I feel like the typical wisdom for a lot of, I'll just call people creators, is that, like, you try to figure out one or two things that you're good at. You try to get as close to mastery as possible. And the common wisdom, I would say, is to, don't overextend yourself, and don't um, try to get good at one or two things. You know, time is limited, life is limited, etc. Um, but you seem to be—you uh, uh, seem to run against that common wisdom or grain.
1: Well, l- let me just say that people who can do that, I'm very envious of. Like, I mean, I c- I just couldn't. But the people who do, I think it's am- just amazing. You know, they say Jack of, of all trades, master of none. That's a little bit how I feel um, because I just like doing so many different kinds of things. Um, and I would be bored if I only tried to do one, which is why I was never great at piano or any instrument, because you need to sit down and practice and practice. and practice. It's a sol- solitary activity for the most part. I think the thing I feel most adept at is improv. And I've done the most of that as well. But the difference there is, is that it's immediate. I love it because of its immediacy it is there and then it is gone forever and it will never be seen again and I think there's that's so beautiful but it's wonderful for somebody like me who loves to perform because you just get if you want to do it you just get up there and do it you don't need to rehearse for a long time you don't whatever you just get up there and the uh, the the gratification is instant with the audience so for somebody who is impatient like I am I'll put it that way I'm impatient um, doing an art form like improv really is 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 the sweet spot for me because it's right there and you can have it all the time.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: But I wish I could be I wish I could like master, you know, an instrument. I used to try and play the banjo. I would love to be a banjo master, but it's just not it's just not conducive to the way my brain operates.
0: Mm. Well, you saying that, you know that that immediate feedback of uh improv, which I think is also similar to just uh live performance in general or like stand-up comedy like there's some there's this um there's this like feeding off the crowd there's this direct like there's there's no better feeling in the world like that is just something that if you can capture that in the bottle like everyone and give it to everybody that would just be amazing because i think a lot of people just don't have that opportunity in life to even experience it and i'm sure they're experiencing other things that are great as well but that whole live performance thing is just so um, mesmerizing, even as someone who's like in the audience. And that must, but hearing you say that must also make me feel that, it makes me feel like it must also, it must be doubly tough to do something like writing a play because you don't have that payoff for like months on end, like until yeah. the thing is actually delivered, performed by people that, by actors or performers, like you don't get that. So like, is that is that tough for you? Like when you're doing, plays or even a podcast it's like okay sure people are downloading it people are like giving you feedback like typing i love the the episode whatever it is but it's not there's not that immediacy right to me it sounds like you're probably just always in the zone when it comes to improv or streaming or live things or or maybe pro tour productions but like how do you um how do you make it manageable for you how do you make it enjoyable for you when there's such a long delay you know what i mean
1: well, sure. And I think the podcast one is easy to answer because Megan and I record together. So we're not recording, you know, over Zoom or whatever. We're in the same space. Right. So when we're doing the episode, we're basically doing an hour long improv scene for you. <laughs> like we've done we've done shows together, Megan and I, for many years. And to me, it just feels like a performance just slightly delayed. So I, the, there is the instant gratification of podcasting. I love podcasting so much. Uh, I I majored, one of my majors in, in college was not only theater but radio, television, film, and I just loved radio. I just loved everything about it. I was a DJ for a while and um, podcasting is just a wonderful marriage of performing and radio that I really love and it doesn't feel like, yeah, that I'm waiting for a response. I feel like just the act of creating it with her uh, is, is enjoyable in and of itself. Um, the Writing the show, I think... I just imagined living it in my head and so that was what was it became alive in front of me kind of as I was making it and so that was the that was the feedback that I I just imagined people doing it that was the feedback I got from it there um, and I mean you me- you mentioned the capturing lightning in a bottle when you're doing live performance one of my favorite things about it is the energetic give and take between the people on stage and the people watching it you can you can build something energetically together, which I think is so incredible to build happiness in another person uh, out of nothing, I think is just for me, one of the greatest joys in life.
0: It has to be. Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. I mean, are you, are you still regular? I mean, it sounds like improv is just, it's just um, extended into the things that you're doing, right? So um, that's just something that's just... It's just a part of you now, right? It's just it's just Maria is 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 that it sounds like.
1: Yes, absolutely. Once I found it, I knew that I had found myself. And if I could tell you to do improv, I would tell everybody in the world to do it, even if they didn't want to perform. If you just took some classes, if you just played with your friends, like you know, in a garage or whatever, and in their yard, front yard in the summer, just messed around, um, it has given me not only in performance and made me better at doing my job um like uh like on the pro tour it's made me better in life in so many different ways so i'm somebody who struggles with anxiety right and i would take losses pretty tough so if at work if i messed up or something i kind of beat myself up pretty bad for that and i think a lot of people are like that and after a while after i'd been doing improv i realized that didn't happen and i was like whoa What's going on? I didn't understand it. I was like, hold on. I'm way more chill about this, you know, mistake I made at work or whatever it was. Um, Or interpersonally, like, oh, I said that in the conversation. I could just die, you know, right? Mm. That didn't happen anymore. Because what it teaches you, right, is that you're doing the scene. If something is quote unquote wrong, someone calls you the wrong name. They forgot that you're the sister, not the friend, whatever. There is nothing you can do about it. All you can do, it has happened, is continue on and try and build from there. And learning that lesson, getting like creep into your blood through doing so many thousands of improv scenes. I realized that it had translated over into the way that I saw the world. Like something has occurred. That's, you know, there it is. And now all I can do is build and move forward from that point.
0: That's amazing because I am that person you described. Like actually just the other, <laughs> just a few days ago, I was beating myself up over something work-related. Yeah. And yeah. I get into these places where I just fixate on it. I'm sure a lot of this is a relatable experience. A lot of people have this and, it, you're, and you know intellectually that it happened in the past, but it's still difficult um, in the moment or even two days later to, um, to extricate yourself from that. Um so I've never actually heard about improv as something that could help with that because I always feel like there's people that are there's just like literature about like, you know, stoicism, like, oh, you know, like things could happen to you, you know, you need yeah. to roll with it. But like I think what you're what you're describing is almost like you're you're practicing rolling with it. So it's like it's not just like in your head, but it's also like you have to Yeah, that's do a it, great point. Right?
1: You have to you have to I I, I did it thought like I said thousands of times and over that time for some reason like I'm as surprised as you as you might build some sort of muscle for that build some kind of muscle for it right because the best thing that you can do like if something happens like that in a show is try and just create from there. So I'm like I accept what has happened as reality and and now I try to make the best from, of what i can from what has now been incorporated as real in that mm-hmm. scene mm-hmm. and yeah it trickled over into into real life and we talked about having a loose brain at the top of this having a loose free mind that's another uh, great i i would say if you could take improv in a pill everybody in the entire world would take it mm-hmm. when i tell you mm-hmm. what it does for you but it's a practice yeah. just like like you run it's a practice like doing yoga like meditation you've got to do it consistently to see benefits i think
0: right right it's also about being a team player right because uh you know sometimes it's owning up to it as uh, as a collective or as a team because maybe maybe it's not your partner that flubbed the name maybe you flubbed the name and they're helping right. you cover for it and do you feel that um support or that love of like someone else uh you know helping each other right so yeah I just never thought of it that way before that's that's pretty like I wouldn't it it feels to me like if you have any kind of team you work with at work or whatnot you should you should all probably just be improv together right so you can
1: I think so I'm biased but I do think so I so I have a few groups that I play in pretty regularly and I'm gonna go do a show tonight with one of them that we are incredibly tight-knit and before every show we all tap each other on the back and then we say hey got your back and what that means is no matter what happens out there, I am looking out for you and I will make you look awesome. So your job on stage is never to make yourself look awesome. It's to make everybody who you're playing with as awesome as possible. And mm-hmm. that, that makes a good environment.
0: Yeah, that's the uh, the commander mentality or like the non-competitive, <laughs> you know, like we try to make a good, try to have a good game, like try to have a good, yeah. um, in, good vibes or a good environment, right? Yeah. Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I've never said vibes this much as I have today in this podcast (laughs) episode, but it just seems fitting. Or I'm sorry, whatever. (laughs) Uh, No, I love it. I love it. So, um, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that you were a one person interview production thing for PBS at a certain point. I want to pick the master's brain, Maria, the master's brain. Um, I, I would love to get some advice. Like, how does one get better at? interviewing or or doing interview style types of things because you've done it with i assume hundreds thousands like a lot of people so i would really love to hear your take on it
1: oh my gosh okay well thank you for asking this question because well number one i think you're great number two i love talking about it (laughs) so i did work for, (laughs) for pbs for many years in arts documentary um which i just absolutely loved because you get to talk to people about what they love and Anytime anyone gets an opportunity to talk about what they love, that's when their light comes on, and I love seeing the light come on for people. Um, so the way I approached it was it was very very difficult because I'd go out onto the field, I would shoot everything, I produce it, and I would edit it. And so I'd go out there, I'd have to set up the camera, put the mic on them, talk to them. You know, like I'm trying to do all this stuff at once, but I loved I love doing it too. Um, and I think the most important thing is to just meet somebody where they're where they are. You know treat them like another human being that you maybe are that you feel comfortable with them making them feel comfortable i think is so important and that starts with like really good eye contact it starts with like just like talking to them like a normal human being i think sometimes people do interviews and it's so formal you know that it makes people uncomfortable and so they don't want to talk to you like another human being they talk to you like uh, they're being interviewed for a job Or whatever and so they're they're stressed out so i just try to make people feel like hey we're just hanging out we're just two human beings in this insane thing called existence together right (laughs) like it is messed up (laughs) but here we are in the soup together and we're just two humans and we're trying to make something um and uh i always the way that i talk about it is like sometimes the person you're interviewing is like an ice cream cone and they're slowly melting and your job is to make sure that they stay together as much as an ice cream cone as you can like you're trying to help them be the best ice cream cone they can be despite the fact that they're constantly like oh no i hate doing this whatever um and i think that's i you know i talk kind of weird sometimes so if that makes any sense to you
0: (laughs) it does Um, it does
1: uh but Getting people to talk about what they love is number one. And I think sometimes a question some interviewers forget to ask is they forget to use the word love. Um, So when I did arts documentary, I would say, tell me what you love most about X. What do you love most about your painting? What do you love most about wood carving? Tell me why you do this. Talk to me about what's going through your mind when you do this. just getting people to talk about their feelings and their emotions and specifically what they love I think is a question that I don't know some people forget to ask it and I'm like it'll always be your best soundbite
0: you have to learn to to draw it out like to draw the emotion part or emotional part right okay
1: yeah and, and getting somebody to trust you like that is important so that's why I try and connect on a pretty human level with people be like hey we're just two dudes trying to trying to live life and like, let's, let's talk about it.
0: It's harder with some folks than others, right? Because oh, I, yes. I think for some people, they're not as comfortable emoting in a certain way, or even just putting their trust in someone and speaking in front of a, it's a, it's a type of public speaking for them because there's a microphone in front of them. So yeah. are there things that, you, you mentioned like trying to put them at ease, but like, have there been cases where it just seems almost insurmountable, like being able to, to break through, like you're just getting one-word answers or things like that. Like, how do you, how do you uh, continue to push through and, and 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 get more? You know, that's the question. Yeah, it's
1: uh, sometimes it is really really hard, and I do remember an interview in particular where it was just bad start to finish, and there was nothing I could do. You know, sometimes that's just the case. Um, but I would try my best through talking to them beforehand. We we would have a phone call. We'd have exchange emails. When I by the time I get there, I want them to feel like. I'm just a little guy, you know what I mean? Because it can be so scary. But in the end, I am just a little guy. I've just got a camera. I've just got a little tiny lob I'm gonna put on you. I'm gonna go back to my tiny little desk and make a tiny little video about you. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I I don't want it to seem big and scary and alien. I want us to both meet each other where we're at on that human level and whether through that's conversation beforehand finding a a point of interest that we share and we can talk about it for a while is there something interesting in their home i you know that i'm that i've that i find and i want to talk i want to ask them about it um, it's all that different kind of stuff and in my case of documentary sometimes the best stuff wouldn't come when we we're doing our sit down interview but when i just had the camera on my shoulder and i was watching them do their work and i yeah. asked them a question yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Like just being ready to capture those uh those moments, right, because sometimes right, exactly. it just comes to yeah. you, yeah, uh, you also are a one person production, so tell me about like how that like i'm a one person production too like like yes. what are some pros and cons of of that you know
1: well, I loved being a one person production house because I love doing all of it, shocking to nobody at this point of the interview um i <laughs> I really love videography, I love photography, so. I loved that and I I love editing. That's where I feel the most at home. So I couldn't give that up. And then interviewing. Oh, I love talking to people. I can't give that up. Oh, well, I guess I'll just do all three. (laughs) So the benefit is, is you are only accountable to you throughout the entire process. So if you mess up, well, that's on you. If you succeeded, great. You did an awesome job. What can we learn for next time? So start to finish. You've got all of the knowledge of the thing that you're making in your head. You don't have to try as an editor who hasn't shot it or been on the shoot to go through hours and hours of footage. You already know what you shot because you're the one who shot it. And then you get to the editing process and you have a pretty good idea because when I'm shooting, I'm also editing it in my head as I'm going. And I'll say, oh, this for sure is going to be the opening shot or whatever. That just cuts down on time. It makes it flow better from start to finish because you will get what you know you want to get, right? You won't be like sitting there in the editing booth and saying, oh, I didn't get it because they didn't do it because they can't read your mind. But guess what? You can read your own mind pretty handy. Um, So those are the awesome benefits. The drawbacks are, of course, it's a lot of work and it's exhausting going out and trying to, you know, do all this stuff by yourself. Uh, And of course, you can't be creatively pushed by somebody else who's different than you who might make a different choice, which would lead you in a different direction that would lead you somewhere better than you would have got on your own. So those are the drawbacks for sure. Um, But there are such joys in knowing that you single handedly created something, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you had success for most of your career just um, pushing yourself as opposed to having... uh a higher up push you or, or a partner push you in terms of create creative, you know, directions and risks and such?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've certainly learned a lot from the people I've worked with who are higher on the chain than me when I worked a quote unquote normal job. Um, but I am somebody who holds myself to an extremely high standard and I will always be pushing myself maybe harder than anybody else does because I just always want to be doing better. I want to be getting better. I want to be chasing the next great thing. I don't want to stagnate. So yeah, I push myself harder for sure. But I definitely have learned a lot from people I've worked with in the past too.
0: Is that also innate the pushing yourself and being your own harshest critic? Is that from parental influence
1: or? Yeah, probably. I mean, I can't say for sure, I just always know that that is how I have been. I've always been extremely competitive um, and always trying to just be the top of my craft if I can be. So I worked for a time at a very small PBS station in Minnesota where we had a tiny number of employees. I worked so many hours a week because it was a small town, there was nothing to do. I just worked. but it was a drive too, because there was a bigger station that would win all the awards. And they had a big team that had a lot of money. And I was like, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna try and win the awards instead of them and see mm-hmm. if it can be done. Like with our tiny little team with no budget up against this big giant, right? Mm-hmm. And that David was David and
0: Goliath kind of thing.
1: Yes, it was a David and Goliath, and I was like so excited by this challenge I had set for my Nobody was telling me to do this.
0: Right, right. But it's I completely to do it. in your own mind, yes. Yes, yes.
1: And it was so satisfying and in the end we did it
0: (laughs) is this related to you winning the uh the regional emmys or oh
1: yes it is yep it was the emmys
0: (laughs) okay like i i know i know from doing a little bit of research you're a 10-time upper midwest regional emmy award winner for your work as a producer videographer and editor so tell me about how it 'Cause I've seen the video of you take like just claiming the Emmy and you're and you gave a little talk on it. And but what what was going through your mind at that time? Like did you feel like you had reached the, the pinnacle of what you set out to achieve at that point?
1: Oh gosh, no. No way. But I, I had achieved a goal for sure. That was yeah, it was the Emmys I was talking about, the regional Emmys here in Minnesota. They're pretty competitive and the people who I was competing against are also very, very good. So it, it was f- great like I was so thankful to have um something to shoot for and somebody you know to somebody's amazing content to try and like reach their level through you know m- my one person means um and when I when I got there I was just so proud I remember being very proud that we'd been able to do it that we could show that uh that I that I could get it done even though I didn't have the resources that they had and that's what another thing that's great about art right you don't have to have Everything to make something incredible. Like you don't need to have all the resources that Broadway productions have to make a really great show. You can make an incredible show with nothing. Um, you might not be seen by everybody, but you still can make it. And yeah, I I think I was just out to prove something to prove that you didn't need to have a team of fifteen people to make a great piece of art. You could have a team of one.
0: Mm. Did you feel? Uh... You know Joy at that point and or did it was it joy and then it was kind of a fleeting moment and then you're like, What's the next thing after this?
1: Oh yeah, I'm always thinking, What's the next thing after this? So this is a little bit of the backstory that I didn't tell was that the company I was competing against had not hired me for a job previously. So it was a little bit like, I'm gonna show them that I can do it and eventually they did then they did hire me. <laughs> But okay. they had completely forgotten they had no memory of me applying all sure. those years back or whatever. Yeah. So uh, that was all in my head. But anyway, that was part of it. Um, and so, yeah, after that, I'm like, well, what's next? How can I make the next one better? And basically, people would say to me, how do you win an Emmy? And I'm like, well, you look at what did win the year before and then you just make something better than that, which easy. They're like <laughs> easy. That sounds, and I'm like, that Easy. is literally, that is all you have to do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> that's
0: literally what it is. Yes. Surpass the standard. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, this might be a little, this might be a more personal question, but like how, I just think of myself in here. Not, not that I want to interject myself into every question. Don't get me wrong. Like, I have found it challenging at parts of my life when I chase something and maybe I get it, maybe I don't. But I always feel like when I get it, it is a fleeting moment. And then it becomes a kind of mental strain to like, like like last month I ran my first marathon. I should be happy about it. But That's now I'm incredible. thinking, I, I felt very happy about it. But at the same time, like I could do a better time than that. <laughs> I need a better PB, personal best. So guess what I'm doing this month? I'm doing a yeah. second one. You know, like it's, it's just this kind of, Sad to say, but for me, there's kind of like this treadmill that I've created for myself. And it's not even like, I think you can relate to this because it's not even other people telling me I need to do it. No one's saying James needs to run a marathon or run a second one. Like it's entirely in my head and I'm not doing it for any kind of like clout or status. I'm trying to prove to myself that I can be a better person today than I was yesterday, but it has its downsides. So I'm wondering if you can talk about that because I feel like maybe there's something here that we 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 both feel similarly on is like pushing yourself but there's a cost to it right there's a psychic energy and there's a psychic cost to it
1: for sure um absolutely like you and there's always the problem of chasing that high that you got when you accomplished whatever and you want to get there back. you want to get back there i think i'll say um two things about it one is that once again you know beating my improv drum um that's something that has taught me to learn from that because you do a show and it could be the greatest show that has ever existed in the history of improv. And that's it. It will never happen ever again. And you have to be okay with that. And in some ways it is heartbreaking, right? To know only however many people happen to see that you, it's just, (laughs) you, you're not going to get that same exact thing with your friends again on stage, but also that's kind of beautiful because that's life right every moment to the next we've got it for a second and then it's gone and the best we can do is celebrate it when we get it and remember it when we're away from it and Mm -hmm. try to create it again for ourselves if that's something that we want um i don't know i just found the the immediacy of the of the life and the death of it kind of beautiful um that it'll never exist again um when I'm talking about making video I deal with it sometimes I think about getting those Emmys or whatever and I'm like oh I'm sure you know I look back on making them eight years ago whatever it is now that they won't be good like you're like oh I need to improve my personal best time and then I go back and I actually watch them and I'm like oh you know what that was really good even though we've all advanced in technology and editing tools or whatever software since that day hey that was better than i remember and you know i think if you were to be able to watch a video of yourself running that you'd be like you know what actually i think i that was like that was a fantastic achievement in and of itself and it was really really great Mm -hmm. um anyway i don't know that's that's kind of how i deal with it but Mm
0: -hmm. i think there's a part of it which is also just maybe maybe time heals wounds or time helps like just even when you look back on the video you made eight years ago you would expect to be harsher about it right because as you said for those reasons but I think you made peace with yourself like it is what it is or it was what it was kind of thing
1: yeah exactly and sometimes you do a bad improv show right you're like ah that wasn't great for whatever reason and you're like well I'm as happy that that is now in the past as I am sad that a great show is also in the past. So it'll balance itself out over the long term.
0: Mm. Have you felt that way about certain magic productions that you were in? Like, for example, maybe there was one you hit it out of the park. The stars aligned. It was like 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10. And there's other ones where it's just like, as you said, maybe there's like technical issues or things outside of your control. It just wasn't as good as it could have been.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. There, I did some really bad shows. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> like early on in my career, my first pro tour I ever, was, I ever did, um, I had strep throat where I was oh. a, on the host desk. And so I had to get like shots. Oh, man, it was so painful. And I'm in a city where I don't normally live and I'm feeling terrible. Anyway, like stuff like that happens and you have a bad show. And yeah, all you can do, like we said, it's in the it's it happened. And all we can do is build from that moment something positive. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's the way I try and look at it. Yeah, certainly there's been some real bad shows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we haven't had bad performances, it just means that we haven't uh, tried hard enough or we haven't put ourselves out there enough, I think. Uh, exactly. that, that's just yeah. how I feel. So.
1: Yeah, you got to have room to grow.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have any continuing or ongoing goals as a creative force or person like do you are there things in the horizon like are there things on your on the maria bucket list like I, I don't know like do you think of it that way even
1: oh my gosh um sure i i do through many different mediums you know like i mentioned i wrote that musical i have dreams that it's done at a at a big theater right so it's very tough to get somebody to do a show that is unknown so it's really, really difficult work. So we're, we're trying that right now. So I do have a dream that'll be at a big theater. We'll have a great production of it. I'm not this one. Maybe it'll one become movie right a movie one day.
0: You know, we can all yeah. watch it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it'll be a movie, famous will be and it'll be great. Um, I had a goal of being part of coverage and, um, and I achieved that and here I am. I had a goal of making a magic podcast that people would enjoy. And, and we've done that for more than 10 years. Um, But now the goal is shifted, and it's how do we keep people invested in the content that we create? Magic is not the same game as it was when we started 10 years ago. In fact, it's not the same game as it was four years ago before the pandemic. Things have changed a lot in the way that people play and approach the game. And that's okay, because that's the way the world works. How do we grow and shift with this new audience that might have different priorities of how they play Magic versus how we started the show? And so I'm like, oh, okay, this is a challenge for us. How do we find that new audience? How do we capture them? How do we make them happy week to week? Um, I want to, you know, travel more. I want to one day have like a little house in Wales. (laughs) Like these (laughs) these are weird goals, but they're goals. I don't know. I just want to keep doing new and different stuff and, and, and just being proud of what I do over the years.
0: That's great. And I got to ask, what is it about Wales? Because I understand you <laughs> learn Welsh. Your two cats have Welsh names. Uh, yeah. You speak English and Welsh, and I understand that's pretty much it. Uh, like what, what is it about this affinity for this culture and language?
1: Well, as a child, I read a lot of um, Arthurian literature. And was very attracted to the stories of of wales and the and welsh mythology and there's some great children's young adult novels that deal with this kind of stuff that i was really attracted to um and yeah i think so arthur king arthur everyone loves the legend of king arthur well he is a champion of the welsh people and um i love i love history and there's a lot of history in wales um it's it's just an absolutely magnificently beautiful country There's more castles per capita than anywhere else in New York.
0: Castles per capita, I love that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So if you're into castles, it's a place to go. If you're into mountains, it's a place to go. Uh, Do you like the beach, the ocean? Oh, they got that too. Forest? Hey, they got you covered. Um, The language is just, just endlessly fascinating to me. And it is musical and beautiful. I could listen to it all day. Uh, from somebody who speaks it you know as a native speaker is just just beautiful to listen to and the history there is so rich and ancient you know they are the the oldest people of the island and they've managed to maintain that language over that span of time Uh, I think is just incredible and I'm a huge language advocate uh, for keeping them alive trying to use them diversity of language languages are dying at an alarming rate and there has been a fantastic effort to save the language which um, I just I just believe in endlessly the people there are so wonderful and nice. Uh, anyway, it's just a fantastic place with a fantastic history, language and culture that I highly recommend everybody visit if you can. It's truly magical.
0: That's super fascinating. so it sounds like there's a timelessness to the language, the culture, and I've honestly this is something I've never thought about like uh, how languages um, die or how they don't persist is it is it like education is it like just people are no longer speaking it like there must be a lot of um foundational things you have to do to keep a language going i've never actually oh, thought yeah. about this
1: it is very difficult very difficult um so they really um okay so the way that it works is that they had a period of time when children were like beaten in school if they were speaking welsh for oh example. punished like physically yeah, punished, punished. So Mm -hmm. it kind of died out to a very, very low rate. And that's when the government stepped in and they were like, hey, we're going to make an actual push to try and save this. So they instituted a lot of different things. They made um, a Welsh language radio channel. Now there's a few. They made a Welsh language TV channel, which is on today and has some magnificent programming. Um, They started teaching it in schools and mandating it. And so now children are learning it, some of them, as their first language growing up which is really wonderful. They made it, uh, you've got to have, uh, both languages on all of your signage, all of your official documents. Um, yeah. So I think it's a, it's a true, it's still ongoing, but it is a true success story of an attempt to save a language. Absolutely. That they're doing there and they're doing some really fantastic work and it's, and it's been growing over the years and, and I don't know, I just hope it can continue to grow. Mm,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hope so too. I, 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 again i've never even ever thought about this that shows how how ignorant I am but like there's there must be so much like politicization of languages and like whether things continue or not and like oh, yeah. even yeah there's just a ton of that I'm sure yeah,
1: well, right, because you know, as you know this dates back you know centuries for them uh but they were conquered right by people who spoke a form of English and so mm-hmm to them and conquer
0: conquerors is right history unfortunately right, for exactly. better or worse yeah
1: and so they're trying to keep it their culture and their history alive uh despite all of the efforts to squash it
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah we yeah we we do hope that the welsh language culture can persist uh we hope that you know it's it's the same I, I, again i've never thought about this like it's almost like you know like uh a species of animal like I would be heartbroken if like cats no longer existed like I these things right. need to need to continue right
1: yes it happens <laughs> with animals too like uh, yes
0: of course of course there's some it, something analogous there
1: don't worry about it a lot of people don't even know Wales is a country so <laughs> it's I, I'm
0: fine. learning this is a yeah. public service announcement so yeah. <laughs> all right Maria it's been so fun um chatting with you thank you for just sharing who you are today, just sharing your, your creative process. Um, I, I I really um, I really appreciate you taking the time.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. You're great to talk to, and the show is a gem for everybody in magic. So thank you for making it.
0: Thank you for listening to Humans of Magic. You've made it to the end. Thanks so much. You're awesome. If you'd like to support the show, there are two ways to do so. The first way is the most powerful. Tell a friend. Tell them to check out Humans of Magic. I'd love it if you could spread the word. The second way is to join the Humans of Magic Patreon at patreon.com slash humans of magic. Patreon is the best way to directly support the show from a financial perspective. For as little as $2 a month, you can support me and join the Discord. It gives me the power to keep cranking out new episodes with your favorite magic people. If you want to go the $5 support route, you'll get a digital copy of the Humans of Magic book. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you, as always, making it all the way to the end, and we'll see you next time.